I can never escape from your spirit, the psalmist says. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Some translations say, if you go to hell, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, and even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. The promise of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, is that he never, never lets us go. And wherever we go, he is there with us. We've been talking in this follow series. Today is the last in this series. And uh, we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. What is demanded of us not demanded, what, op- what opportunities are given to us to be able to, to partner with Jesus in building his kingdom, in establishing his love and his rule in this world. And, uh, we've, you know, we've talked about what that costs. That costs us something. Ta- we talked about the places we need to go, the kind of people we need to spend time with, the kind, the kind, of, the kind of life we need to live in order to follow Jesus. But I want you to know as you follow Jesus that there's no place that you will ever go that Jesus isn't prepared to go with you. That you are never, ever left alone. And so today we're going to talk about the path to hell. Because the psalmist said, even in the grave, even in hell, your presence is there. Wow, how can that be? What do we know about hell? We're going to talk about hell a little bit today. What is hell? Where is hell? What is hell for? And why would Jesus go to hell? It's not a simple four-letter word. Hell gets misused in all kinds of different ways. Uh, We pack a lot of meaning into one small word. When most people refer to hell, they're referring to a place of eternal, constant torment that is used by God to judge the wicked after they die. Most people believe this about hell. They believe that hell is the alternative to heaven. That once you come to the end of this life, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. And we often use that as a curse on people. Has anyone ever told you to go to hell? I mean, we use that in a, very, in a very flippant way and as a curse on people, but it has very serious ramifications when we think about it as a curse on someone else. So we're going to talk a little bit about hell uh, today, and then we're going to talk about why Jesus would go there and what it means that Jesus went there and what it means to us to follow Jesus there, all right? And that may all sound a little bit mixed up, But I promise you, my message today is pretty orthodox, okay? First of all, I want you to know that the Bible does not always agree with our understanding of hell, as it's simplistically put in the statement that I just made. Um, N.T. Wright, the theologian and historian, said most of the passages in the New Testament which have been thought by the church to refer to people going into eternal punishment after they die don't, in fact, refer to any such thing. 
Most biblical scholars would tell you that uh, if you study the language, you study the context of the scriptures that are often used, often quoted to talk about hell, they're often misquotes, misuse. Let me give you some examples. So Jesus talks about hell, and he talks about judgment, and he uses language that he borrows from the prophets, in particularly in Isaiah chapter 13, which described the destruction of Babylon. And in the ancient times, and the prophecy that Babylon would fall, that there would be destruction, every empire seems to fall. And Jesus talks about this, and he says that there's a day coming when such destruction will come on Jerusalem. And Jesus here is not talking about individual souls. He's not talking about individual people. He is talking about the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is acting in the position of prophet over his own people, just like all the prophets before him, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the other prophets who came to them, and they killed them too because they didn't like what they had to say, Jesus is saying there needs to be repentance here in Israel, otherwise this city is going to be destroyed. Jesus often talked about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, and he wept over the city of Jerusalem because he saw the inevitability of it because of the hardness of the hearts of the people. And in fact, the prophecy that Jesus gave to the city of Jerusalem came true in 70 A.D., not long after Jesus died, while the, while the Apostle Paul is still living and other things are still going on, and a lot of the New Testament is still coming together, the city of Jerusalem is sacked by the Romans and is destroyed. The temple is destroyed and to this day has not been rebuilt. All that is supposedly remains of the temple is what we call today the Wailing Wall. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., and the things that Jesus talked about when he brought the prophecies about Babylon into the present time, he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, then, other places it talks about hell. Um, the translation, we, we use this word hell, um, and we don't have a lot of different words for the afterlife. But Jesus also uses the word Gehenna, and it's translated hell. Now, Gehenna... And oftentimes, when he's talking about Gehenna, he talks about fire. He talks about the, the fact that fire never goes out. He talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth in relationship to the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was an actual place. It was not a fictitious place. It wasn't a place that was um, out there somewhere or down there somewhere. In fact, Gehenna was just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, and it was a garbage dump. And the way they got rid of the garbage is they burned fires, and the fires never went out in Gehenna. There were constantly fires going, and dogs ran wild, and they, you know, they would go into the garbage dump, and they would grab whatever was there, and you can imagine with the heat and all that kind of thing, that's where the concept of weeping and gnashing of teeth comes from. Also, many of the texts that that, used to, that are used to describe by dispensationalists about the Great Tribulation are often similarly referring to places like Gehenna or this prophetic word that Jesus gives about the city of Jerusalem. Now just hold on a little bit because I know you're thinking, oh, what's he talking about? The other word that is, is translated hell in the New Testament is the word Sheol, which simply means the place of the dead. The Jewish people of Jesus' time and of previous generations believed that 
your soul lived on after death, or your spirit lived on after death. And that there was a place that all the dead went. And they called that Sheol, or Hades, or is in translated in English, hell. Or as in the new translation in uh, Psalm 139 that I read to you this morning, was the grave, which just simply means it's the place of the dead. Now, the Jews had a, a variety of opinions. They were kind of divided in two ways. Some people believed that you went to Sheol and you stayed there for eternity. And it was just kind of a, an ambiguous place where the souls were all kept for eternity. Others uh, believed in a resurrection. They believed that that was just a temporary place and that there would be a resurrection. And even in Jesus' day, there were two groups. There were the Sadducees that did not believe in a resurrection. They believed that you just went to Hades and that's it. And then there were those the Pharisees, whom Jesus often argued with about many other things, but they did believe in the idea of a resurrection. And uh, so this, con- this, this, this concept of an afterlife is often referred to when it's translated in, uh, in, in English as to Hades or hell, the place of the dead. So you can dig a little farther if you want, but you'll find that oftentimes these translations are, show us that the, the concept of a hell in the New Testament is not necessarily exactly like the concept that many of us have come to understand as hell, especially from our medieval roots, the Dante's Inferno, and even the Protestant uh, belief there was great motivation in having hell. Now, what we need to talk about final judgment. Because the Bible is clear about the idea that there is a final judgment. Are we, you might be asking, well, Pastor Michael, are you eliminating hell as a place of judgment? Are you saying then that everyone goes to heaven, like some people would say? Because God loves everyone, so everyone ends up in heaven. And, uh, and it, it, we have, we've, we've made it so simplistic, this heaven and hell kind of thing. And we've talked about heaven before. And, you know, heaven um, is, is not about going somewhere. It's about a place of being with God and being involved with God in his kingdom. But still we have these concepts. And no, I am not eliminating the concept of a final judgment and what happens there. N.T. Wright again says, following Jesus is not merely a nice religious option for those who care to try it for size. We prefer naturally to talk about the pleasant side of Christianity, but the whole Christian tradition is clear that among the reason for following Jesus, there is the question of the alternative to be considered. If we don't follow Jesus as persons and as communities, what results can we expect? Ultimately, it only makes sense to talk about comfort if it also makes Christian sense to talk about discomfort. Otherwise, we water down the Christian message into a bland and benign platitude, cutting off the heights as well as the depths in a way that carries no resonance in the rich literature of Judaism or Christianity. I think we need to understand that we can't, you can't have one without the other. You can't have the promises of God's rich blessing without the alternative. 
especially when we serve a God who is so committed to the idea of free choice. Right from the very beginning of creation, God gave humanity the right, the privilege, the honor to be able to choose their own destiny. And the truth is that many of us have chosen in ways that have brought us judgment. You see, uh, every choice, every decision bears its own consequence. To follow the laws and the wisdom of Scripture is to protect us from the hellish consequences that come when we make our own way through disobedience and defiance. There are natural consequences that seem to come almost immediately when we make bad choices. But there are also supernatural consequences to those sinful choices that we make. And ultimately, death is the final consequences, consequence of sinful or bad decisions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How the decisions we make have immediate and long-term consequences, eternal consequences. Take, for instance, uh, a person who uh, is tempted to use illicit drugs. Let's say cocaine. That person sees their friends using cocaine or they, you know, they, they see how cocaine is glorified sometimes in, uh, in the media that, you know, it's a great picker-upper, it, you know, makes you uh, more alert and, you know, all the kind of things that you see about cocaine and, you know, just a little sniff here or whatever, you know, it won't hurt you, it'll just make you a better person and just give you that buzz. But that person doesn't realize that they themselves are very prone to addiction. And when they take that first sniff of cocaine, they find themselves in bondage to it immediately. It happens to some people. I've heard people talk about the fact that it wasn't the second, wasn't the third, it wasn't the fifth time they snorted cocaine that they became addicted. It was right away. And then when they're held in this bondage of addiction, as much as they would like to choose something different now... They would like some other option. They'd like to get out of their addiction. They can't. They try. They go to rehab. They, go, they, 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 they promise themselves they'll never, never, never do it again. But even those who have the best of intentions of, 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 uh, of recovery often find themselves in relapse. And one of those relapses just happens to be with some cocaine that's tainted or whatever with something else and they die of an overdose. Those stories happen, don't they, Hope? Hope works with people with addictions. Those stories happen. You see, there are consequences of the choices we make and ultimately the choices can lead to death. That's what the enemy wants. And those consequences even before we die, can put us into a hellish existence of bondage, of self-hatred, of poverty, of, of loss of all our dignity completely because of the choices we make. It's hell on earth for those people, and who knows what comes afterwards. Let me use a little more benign, a little more uh, acceptable example. A person decides they want to be, they want to get ahead in life. They want their goal to be self-sufficient. 
They're going to work hard. They're going to get a good education. They're going to work hard. And they are not going to be required to count on anybody else. They are going to be self-sufficient. They're going to be rich. And they start that, you know, it seems like good intentions. They make a decision. They go down a path to be successful, to be this, to be that. But they find as they move along in life that, uh, that as they attain more and more and more and more, it's never enough. There's always a need for more, and they become driven, and they become in bondage to their own lust for power and for money. They, can't, they can never be satisfied. They, they only want more, and their life is miserable, but they can't stop anymore. That's not to say all rich people are miserable. Some of the, probably the happiest people are rich people that are able to be free and give and share with others. Those people are happy. God blesses them for that very reason. But there are those people that greed has gotten so hold of them that they're addicted to it and they're bound to it and they can't stop. And so, you know, in order to get more and more and more, they start to cut some corners. They start to, they start to, to you know, kind of do some things under the table. They start trying to hide money in places so that they don't have to pay taxes. And the and whole society suffers because of it. Not only do our sinful choices bring hell on earth to us, but hell, our sinful choices can have an effect on other people. And then they decide, well, the, the, <clears throat> the product that they're making can be made cheaper somewhere else. And, you know, you could actually go to a foreign country and you could actually hire children for pennies a day to make your product. And you can make more money off of this. And what you're doing is you're actually hiring slaves somewhere else in the world, world that are, are earning a wage that they can't even live off in their own country. Because your greed has gotten hold of you and the decisions that you make have caused you no happiness, and they've brought hell on earth to other people. And you, you, just like everybody else, will one day find yourself in a grave with no money, no possessions, with nothing that you lived your life for. You see, hell is when you get the wages that are due to you for the choices that you make. Both the immediate judgment that comes to you in what you sow and what you reap, but also an eternal reward for your choices. You see, we talked about this back a few weeks ago. When, when you stand before God in the judgment day, he's, he's not so interested in, in, in all that you believe. He's, he, he's really interested in how you've treated the people around you. Jesus said on the final judgment day, the question that's going to be asked is, what did you do for the least among you? Who did you help? Who did you love? Jesus said, because any time that you showed love, any time you gave a cup of cold water in my name, you gave it to me. And so when we become obsessed with ourselves and our sin causes us to be, be, be focused only on ourselves and our desires and our needs, we are unable to live out the life that Christ has called us to, the life to love, to share, to show kindness, to really follow Christ. And in fact, some people go so far as to blaspheme Christ and 
and, and to, to live a life that's totally cut off from Christ. You see, some people, they don't want to be with Jesus. They don't want to live the life that God called them to live. And they, too, will, will need to spend eternity away from God. You see, why would you choose eternity with someone that you didn't want to spend your life with on earth? Let me kind of make it a little plainer. I know this is hard for you to believe, but some people don't like me. You know? You know, they, they've come to church here at Parkway, and they've said, oh, you know, they're nice people at Parkway, but that preacher, I don't like him. And so they don't come back. Some people. Just maybe one or two. You see, some people don't agree with what I say. Some people don't like my personality. Some people, I don't know. I, I can't understand why they don't like me. But anyway, some people don't like me. And, you know, they go their own way. They, they, they go a different place. They, they do things, you know, their own way. They, re, you know, I, I mean, I, don't, I try not to take it personal, but they reject me, right? So we might even be cordial to one another if we saw each other on the street. Oh, hi. I remember seeing you one time or two times, or three times. But they're probably not going to invite me to their house, and they're probably not going to come to my house. And if I ever invited them, if I ever invited them to go on an extended vacation with me, let's say for a month, why don't we go on a, on a boat together for a month? Nice close quarters. You get the cabin right next to me. We'll eat every meal together and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go, you know, touring around together. Let's go on a cruise together for a whole month. And they'd say, well, I wouldn't want to go with you. I don't even like you. Why would I want to spend a month with you? You see, there are people that have made it very plain that they're not interested in the God of the Bible. They don't believe that stuff. They don't like what Jesus had to say. They don't like the life that Jesus lived. They don't, they don't like the law of God or the wisdom of God or the righteousness of God. They want to do things their way, and they don't want to be beholden to some being putting restrictions on them. They want to live their life their way. Well, if that's how you want to live your life, how do you want to spend eternity? You want to go on a vacation with Jesus? Do you want to spend all your eternal existence with Jesus? Of course not. Again, God honors people's will, their choices. And if you've chosen to reject him, he's not going to say, oh, well, now come and sit here beside me for eternity. So in the same way, people don't like Jesus, his teaching, his way of living, the wisdom of Scripture, the tradition of the church. For many different reasons, people distance themselves, they reject him, they leave. They may be cordial, but they do not want to be closely associated with Christ or his church. So it goes to reason that one of the consequences of this choice is that they will not share in the eternal home with God and his people. 
So this concept of final judgment, what happens after you die? Well, that's what we call hell. That's part of what we call hell. Now, for some people, for some theologians, they've looked at the Bible, and they've looked, and, and for, for hundreds of years, or they, you know, the tradition has been there that what hell is, is it's a place of uh, fire, and it's a place of eternal, constant torment. Uh, even though that's not what Jesus necessarily talked about, but there are some references in the Old Testament, some references in the book of Revelation, and they say, well, this must be what, you know, this was, this was for, made for the devil, and this is where they go. Other people look at those same verses, and they say, well, yeah, but if, you know, you get thrown in the fire, you, you know, it talks about being burned, it talks about being consumed, it talks about being cast out, then maybe what happens is you you know, you just are annihilated. Take your pick. The truth of the matter is, there is, there is a home, there is eternity. There is life everlasting. There is, there is a place for you, for your friends, for your family, for every person in this whole wide world to spend eternity in the place that God intended them to, in the kingdom of God. And the alternative is to be cast out. And I can't guarantee exactly what that looks like. I can read what the, the, the interpreters of Scripture have to say. Take your pick. It's, it's, it's kind of there. I, I kind of think right now in my life, as I look at it, and I think of the character of God, that it, it wouldn't give God any pleasure to sit there and watch people be tormented for eternity. It's not in the character that I see the loving Heavenly Father doing, but I can't say that for certain. I can't say that. Some greater minds than me have come up with this idea of, of of, of eternal constant torment. I know for myself, I don't want either of those options. I want the option of being with God in his kingdom and living the life that I always was intended to live. So, and I believe that's what God wants and that's what Jesus wants. That's why Jesus goes to hell because he doesn't want anyone to miss out on the chance of eternity with him. So there's two, there's two uh, things I want to talk about that just to help us understand what it means for Jesus going to hell. Sometimes we sing some of the creeds. We don't read creeds, but there are creeds of the church that were, were established that kind of give the, 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 the very basic framework of Christian doctrine, orthodox doctrine. And in the Apostles' Creed, it says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So Christian tradition, in basic Orthodox teaching, has this concept that Jesus went to hell in between his death and his resurrection. 
Well, Scripture points that out as well. It seems to conclude that that's the same, that that's true as well. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, and just, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. So the concept here that Peter is talking about is that somewhere in here Jesus actually went as an evangelist to all the dead people in order to give them the opportunity to make an informed decision. Because you see, up until the point of Christ, the the idea of salvation, the idea of what God was offering to people was only offered in shadows. You could only see it in shadows. It was in in, in the words of the prophets. It was in the the shadows of the sacrificial system. It was in the... the, uh, even what the priest wore and, and all the different things, all the different traditions in their, in, their, in their religion all pointed to something, but what exactly was it? What it was was that Jesus would die, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be condemned by Pontius Pilate, that he would die, and that he would, he would be buried, and he would rise again on the third day and he would ascend to heaven. That's, that's, the, that's the culmination of what the story of Scripture is all about. So in order to enlighten all those who were dead in Hades, as the Jews would understand it, Jesus went there in those, mo- in those hours between his death on Friday afternoon and his resurrection on Sunday morning. Jesus went and he preached. He told them, all the things that they had been doing, all those, all those rituals, all those things that they had been believing, all the words of the prophets, all the, the teachings of Moses, of the law, all of these things were pointing in the direction of him. And so he gave them the opportunity. You see, because Peter says this in the verses preceding, he says in, Peter, in, in 1 Peter 3 verse 9 that God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It doesn't say, Peter doesn't say, God wants to give everybody a free pass. There needs to be some sense of acknowledgement of a, of, of a, of a, a higher authority than just ourselves. There needs to be an acknowledgement of God's existence and his plan. And so Jesus goes to hell in order to make that clear to all those who are in Hades. Does it sound a bit science fiction-y? <laughs> this is what scripture teaches. This is what the church has believed. So if we are going to follow Jesus, if we are going to be his followers, what does this mean uh, for us? It means there should be no place that we are unwilling to go to rescue souls from that final judgment. You see, Jesus, he he didn't hold back one bit He went right into the enemy's kingdom and he took what belonged 
to him. The souls of every person who would believe in him, every person who would follow him, every person. You see, his love is so great that he didn't even leave out the people that came before. And we shouldn't leave anyone out either. You shouldn't be left out. If you've never acknowledged, if you've been one of those people that have been playing around with disobedience and sin and, and, and not really taking the word of God and the truth of Jesus and the, and the love of God seriously in your life and you've just been playing around with it and it's been some sham of a game in your life and yeah, maybe later I'll get serious about following Jesus. You can't, you can't hold on to that. Because you're just one choice away from missing out on all that God has for you for eternity. And eternity starts now. It starts here. And if you're, if you're in that situation, I encourage you to get yourself right with God. Make that decision that you are gonna, you're going to set your sight on following Jesus and be that one, to be that light, to be that beacon, to follow his path. I mean, you won't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly. But, you know, God just shines a light on my path and I make choices every day and I try to make the choices that would honor God and would please God. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I mess up. But God's always there. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's never going to turn me away. I have full confidence that I am forever in his care and that there is there is a place for me in his eternal kingdom I am not afraid one minute in a couple weeks I'm going to have major surgery I'll be here next Sunday I'll be here on the on Sunday the 8th of April and on the 9th of April I'm going to have surgery and I'll be gone for a few weeks um, uh, because I'm going to have both my hips uh resurfaced, replaced at the uh, same time. And uh, so it's going to be a, a, a bit of a drama. But you know, you just never know. When you go, when you go under the, you know, the anesthetic, what's going to happen? You know, I don't even, it doesn't even worry me. Not one minute. I don't care if I don't come out of that anesthetic. I don't have an ounce of fear about what my future holds. I don't know everything that, that is in the future. I don't know everything. I don't understand all about what, what, what the final judgment looks like and what happens afterwards. And I don't, but I'm not worried about it because I know. I know in my heart that God loves me and I have a place with him. And you can know that too. And everybody that you know should know that. There are so many misconceptions about what Christians believe about heaven and hell. People have all kinds of weird ideas. But it really boils down to this. Jesus wants everyone to be with him, to make that choice. And you and I are the only ones, along with all the other people in the world that know this truth, that are called to share that message with others. The hope I have within me is what needs to drive me every day to share the love of God with people around me. The rich, the poor, the sick, the maimed, the lame, the people that are in bondage, all those people. We're going to receive communion in a moment. And this is our final 
metaphor, and it's an appropriate one for today because it's the Lamb of God. So those who are going to serve communion, you can just get ready. We'll, we'll, we'll serve it in a minute when we have a song, but you can just get ready. I, the, the idea of the Lamb of God, you know, Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb of God. And sometimes we think about that as the, you know, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that dies and is put on an altar. But, you know, I think we made that clear a, few, a little while ago that, that, um, that lambs don't actually die for sin. They're offering in this temple... But it's goats. And Jesus is not called the goat of God. He's called the lamb of God. And the the concept of the lamb comes not from the, the sacrificial system in the tabernacle or in the temple. The concept of the lamb of God comes from the Passover. And on the night before Jesus was betrayed, it was the Passover. And Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Actually, it was the night before the night before, but Jesus shared the Passover meal with them a little bit early. That's what, that's what they were sharing. Now, what was the Passover meal? Well, a lamb was slain for the Passover meal, but it was not a sacrifice to God. It was something for the, the family to eat. The Lamb of God was not a sacrifice made to appease God. It was a sacrifice made to nourish the people of God, for the big trip they had to take. You see, in the story of the Exodus, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, you know, all those plagues that happened and to convince Pharaoh to let them go, the final plague, the tenth plague, was this, that there would be a destroyer that would come that would take life, take the life of the firstborn, And the people that were in covenant with God, the people that were in relationship with God, they could let the destroyer know that they were in covenant with God just by taking the blood of the lamb and putting it over the doorposts of their house. And the Bible said the destroyer would then pass over, the death angel he was called. Now, some people believe God sent the death angel, but God's not about death. God's about life. And the truth is, there is a destroyer. There is a death angel. There is someone that seeks out to destroy every human being. But a lamb has been slain, and when the blood is applied, that enemy, that destroyer, has no power over you. So when it says the Lamb of God, what it means is Jesus was given for you to nourish you, to to strengthen you, to make you the person that God wants you to be so that you can go and you can possess the land, the kingdom that God wants you to have. But there is an enemy, there is a destroyer, there is someone that wants to grab life from you and wants to put you in hell for eternity. But if you're in covenant with God, if you have applied the blood to the doorframe of your life, if you have put that banner over your household that says, no, you don't come here. I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm one of the kingdom of God. That power of death has no power over you 
has no power over me. We are in community with God and we are promised eternity with him. So this morning, you and I have the option to declare to the world, to declare to the spirit world by partaking of this cup and this bread, what we are saying, we are applying that blood to our lives. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood given for you. And when we take that, what we are saying is, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm in covenant with you. That's a message to the world. Communion is so much more than we'd ever imagined it to be. Because Jesus, there's so many wonderful pictures there. And the Lamb of God, to me, is one of the most beautiful pictures. Because Jesus gave his life for me so that I could have and possess the kingdom that he wants me to possess. I'm a slave no more to the enemy. I am not at risk of death. I am not at risk that my life will be snuffed out and I won't matter. I can leave a legacy on this earth and for eternity, I can know the peace of God and his kingdom in my life. So what about you? Do you know that? Do you know that in your heart? Do you believe that? Are you willing to live that life and share that good news with other people? I trust you are. Lord, I pray that you would just speak into the hearts and the lives of every person that's here today of the immense love that you have for us and how you have prepared a way for us, how you have provided the lamb, how you have provided everything we need to achieve the great status of the kingdom of God with you for eternity. I pray, Lord God, that there would not be one person in the sound of my voice, whether it's here or whether it's listening on our podcast or however people might hear this message, I pray, Lord God, that not one person would, would reject you or would fail to make a decision for you today, but each person would know the peace of God in their heart for eternal life. And furthermore, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would burn in us a passion to share this message with every person, to go, even if it means we go to hell to find them, Lord God, we just reach them wherever they are and just draw them into your kingdom through our love, through your example, your patience, your kindness, and your grace. In Jesus' name. So as you take that piece of bread this morning, I encourage you just to see what it is. It's the, the broken body of the Lamb of God given for you to nourish you for all that he has for you. So would you partake with me of that bread? And the cup, it's the blood. Jewish people put it on the doorpost of their house. We're going to drink it, but if you're in covenant with Jesus Christ and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you take that cup and just hold it up? 
Lord Jesus, we stand in covenant with you. We are in your kingdom. We pledge to serve you, to follow you, to do all that you have us to do. In Jesus' name, let's partake.